Well, you know where we're headed. That's where our music and our worship has led us. That beautiful song that Chris sang for us. It's about the church living together, being the church together. Now, just by way of an unbelievable, difficult introduction, because I've just got to whip through it, all the opening verses of this passage, leading to verses 24 and 25, set the stage for those verses. Let me describe it in simple terms. Those opening verses describe what God has done for us and the amazing privilege it is to have been called by him and included by him and transformed by him as he has come into our lives so that rather than it just being sinful me groveling at the cross, He has gathered us together to himself to make us a new people. So that the call for us to behave in such a manner is predicated on what Jesus has accomplished in dying for us on the cross. Look at those opening verses with me. I'm sorry I can't do them justice you're just going to have to trust my word at this point, that what they describe to us is God bringing us to himself so that we might be born again, changed individually, not just born again into a new life to go to heaven, but born again into a new family to live together. You can't have one without the other. You can't be in the family of God without being born again. But once you are born again spiritually, and that's what the Bible really describes it to be, then you are born again into a family. So it's not just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and all the brothers and sisters. We've got a family reunion going on in our family this very weekend. It's amazing that I happen to be preaching here. I I suppose they're sitting out there somewhere in the congregation. Where is the guest clan? Right back there, okay. But uh, why don't you all stand? But people want to see you, love you, applaud you, tell you how lucky you are to have me in your family. (laughs) Why don't you all stand up, please? All the guest clan are back in there. Thank you. And there are a couple of little ones downstairs too. They're English. Speak proper English. (laughs) Not my contorted English anymore. We're having a family reunion. It's absolutely wonderful. We are all perfect. (laughs) The children who are married are perfect wives. The husbands they are married are perfect husbands, and their children are absolutely perfect. Because Kathy and I have been perfect parents, and all our children love each other perfectly. You know I'm lying through my teeth, don't you? But we are family. We are family. 
all of my sisters and me. You remember those days back when the Pirates had a baseball team? Looks like we might have one again now. The very... <laughs> it's nice to be able to get happy about the Pirates for a change. Listen, when we're born again spiritually into the kingdom, we're born again spiritually because Christ has come to indwell us by his spirit. And once he comes into us by his spirit, we are all relatives spiritually. One family. So look at these words with me. As I say, I just have to glide through them. But verse 19, Therefore, brothers, look even that language, brothers. This is before they had Baptists to tell us we all ought to call each other brother this or brother that. Because the Bible uses the phrase, why do you think it uses it? Because we're seen to be family, brothers and sisters, the brethren. Since therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, what to do? To enter the most holy place, that's actually now for us to be able to be in the presence of the Lord in heaven, to enter the holy place... By the blood of Jesus. That is through the death of Jesus. It's saying we have come to the cross. His blood has cleansed us from our sin. He has come to dwell in our lives. And we have this immediate privilege of going into face-to-face conversation with Almighty God in the holy place. Reminiscent of the Jewish temple and the holy place and the holy of holies, which they were not allowed to go into. And only the high priest went in once a year. But that all led us to Calvary, where Jesus, by his blood, offered himself, paid the penalty for our sin, so that we might be forgiven and born again into his family. So, look at verse 20. It's by a new and living way. It is new and it is living. And it's opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. Again, I, don't, I can't take time to even expound on that. But through the death of Jesus, a new and living way, we become new and living people as we enter in through him. And his death on the cross. So look at verse 21. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Tell me where you think the house of God is. It's the whole family of God around the world. It's the church, the body of Christ, the fellowship of all believers. And what's it say concerning this? That we have a great priest, I think the old translation said a great high priest, over the whole household. That's Jesus. He's head of the house. You belong to him, you belong to each other. And so what it goes on to say and talk to us about is how we ought to behave. Look back at the text again and and underline or circle these phrases. Look at verse 22, therefore. It says, let us, underline that, let us draw near to God. Since these are facts, 
Since this is what's been done, what can we do? Let us. That's together. It's not just let me, it's us. Draw near to God with a sincere heart and full of assurance of faith. Let us do that. That is together. Look at verse 23. Again, let us. Underline that. Let us, it's a plea to all of us, to enjoy our privileges. Hold on swervingly to the hope we profess. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. That's the Lord himself. So let us hold on to that. Verse 24, let us again. Do you see that? On the basis of what he has done, let us enjoy these privileges. Let us consider how we may spur one another to love and good deeds. Verse 25, same introduction. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us, I underline it, encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. You see, we are a supernatural family with supernatural opportunity. I use the word supernatural supernatural that this is not ordinary this is not just human activity it's divinely inspired only God can pull it off let me contrast it for instance to the club don't start drooling but where I'm the chaplain for the winters I'm in a club it's a gated community people pay to get in do they ever through the nose and the ears they pay God has paid for you to be in his family all you're doing is paying to be in a club and then they've got dues and if you don't pay the dues you're out Jesus has paid the dues. All paid for. To be in the family, not a club. But in the club, because we are self-consciously in the club, and I as the chaplain get all the club privileges. They've got access to golf courses, croquet lawns, fishing docks, tennis clubs, dining. It's amazing. They have their little tournaments, their gatherings, their little parties. It's all the club. Now here's the problem. Too many of us deal with church like it's just another club. Where we turn up. We are not just a club. The guest clan is not a club. It's a family. You can't pay your way into the guest clan. You've got to become family. Amazingly, one of our daughters is adopted. Sitting out there with her husband. Adopted. So when she married her husband, guess what? Not only was she in the family, he came into the family. 
and they have adopted two children. I hope you're getting this picture. It's not a club. So now they've adopted two children themselves in England who are their children, and guess what? They're our grandchildren. And the other grandchildren are their cousins. And they all run around together and have the most amazing time which gives us grandparents the greatest of pleasure to watch it. It's not club. We're not into club activity. We are family. And we've been adopted when we put our faith into Jesus, into his family. And you and I are family together. If you've come here alone, if you're visiting alone, it's tragic that there is such, even within the Christian community, such a sense of aloneness on the part of individuals. So if you've been divorced, you hate to go to church and go alone. If you've been widowed, you hate to go to church and go alone. If you've never been married, you hate to go to church and go alone. And too many of us who are married, got it all together, got family and everything, we turn up here and we sit as if we are alone. I love the way our service begins. God is good all the time. And suddenly we're celebrating him together. All the time, God is good. And what do we then do? Greet one another in the peace of the Lord, a sense of community. I hope in somewhere, somehow, every one of you got greeted, not just by the people you knew, but the family immediately around you. And if you weren't, listen to me, family. See that it happens before you get out of this building. Nobody should walk in here alone or feeling alone and walk out as if they are alone. Such an indictment. We are family. So when it calls us, now we hit into the heart and soul of what has to be said here, though I think I've really talked about the heart and the soul, and now we're talking really about the circumstantial evidence of it all. We need to be there for each other to promote and encourage one another to believe this and act as if it's true. So look at verse 24. Let's come right to it. Let us consider how we may spur one another onto or on toward love and good deeds. That word spur, circle that, will you? That is an aggressive word. Where do you use a spur, pray tell? When you are on the back of the horse and you're sticking it in the rump of the horse to move that horse. Or discipline it in some way. But mostly you spur them on because you want them to put another burst of energy in. Get going. Come on, Dover. <laughs> Oh, don't finish the rest of that sentence. But my fair lady, and they're rooting for the horse Dover. 
spurring is an aggressive word. That is not some limp-wristed, smooth, gentle, effeminate, I say, kind of conversation. The old King James Version, which is the first translation really into English that the world got to see, it doesn't use that word. It uses the word provoke. Provoke to love and good works. That's an aggressive word, to be provocative. This is not a gentle little, oh, I say, come on now, chaps. This is a real stepping into the life of someone else to give them encouragement, to spur them, to provoke them toward it. You know, one of the amazing things is this, that when you're using language like this, you tend to think of, because what does it go on to say? Provoke or spur them on to love. And good works is almost contradictory. And most of us are not adequate to even do that because we are not loving enough ourselves. It's almost as if it would become hypocritical for us to spur people onto love and its subsequent good works when most of us don't exhibit love. One of the heroes of my life is Mother Teresa. She could provoke or spur people. I mean, she was very direct. She wasn't some wimpy little old lady with a habit on, playing Catholic nun. She laid down her life. She lived it. She not only provoked, she evoked. That is her life, her very example, like the example of Jesus washing feet. He could command, he did command. You see what I've done to you? So that's how you're to serve one another. So that the least among you might be greatest. You serve one another. I came to seek and to serve, seek and to save that which was lost. But that was his servant attitude. He wasn't one of us. He didn't come among us anyway to dominate us. But to save us, seek us, serve after our needs. But he is the Lord of all. So he could not only command it that we love one another as he has loved us, but doesn't he evoke it, draw it out of us? You want to... Wasn't that striking when you heard that song? That here they are all mumbling to each other about who was the greatest and who was the least. And then Jesus took the towel and washed their feet. And you went, took your breath away. Because it evokes it. So may we somehow cheer each other on. And the Spirit of God's at work in us. As I'm preaching, I know God is speaking to you. If you know and love Him, His Spirit is bearing witness to the truth of what you've read here. And now I'm explicating, explaining to you. 
And I'm one of you. I know the issues. Of course I said in to- with tongue-in-cheek that, you know, my wife and I are the perfect grandparents because we're the perfect wives and husbands and whatever else. And it's not true. We are imperfect. But to spur us on toward, did you notice that? To, toward, on, on toward. Love. And with it, subsequent good works. A life that's different. Listen to Mother Teresa, because she speaks from both a life that lived it and a word that spoke it. She said, people are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. She's not fooled. That's what she said. People are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you will do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Tough stuff. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spent your years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you help them. How often the hand that feeds is the hand that gets bitten. I remember as a young man when I was, I was in my 20s. I was in a part of London and I came across, came out of this tube station, the underground, and two guys were fighting and one had another bent over the rail, stopping people falling out into the street, a guardrail, waist high, and it looked like he was going to break the guy's back. And I jumped in the middle of the fight. I was there by myself to break them up. Do you know what happened? They both turned on me. It wasn't like one said, oh, thank you, thank you. No, I got this guy off and the other one came at me. And I got out of there. I didn't say, oh, yeah, I'll take boat. Come on, bring it on. I didn't. I got out of there. But how often it happens, you try to help people, and the very people you help end up bringing pain into your life and snubbing you. It's a strange phenomenon. Mother Teresa wasn't fooled about that. But you know what she goes on to say? Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. This is sweet little Mother Teresa. Give the world the best you've got anyway. What's that about? It's one lover telling the rest of us how to love. 
And we believe her because she was a lover. And we need to be mutually cheering and spurring each other on. Look at the very next verse, verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You see how people can flake off, get lost, disappear, no one take any notice. But let us encourage one another. That's really to go after those who've drifted off, separated themselves from the family, go after them. So when it's speaking about encouragement here, I take it in that context. Not just in general encouragement, but to keep the family pulling together. Because we are family. And all the more so, it says here, as you see the day approaching. There is a day of reckoning coming. And God is not fooled and he's not mocked and whatever we sow will reap, says the scripture. So it just doesn't go on and on and on. There will be a calling to account. And we who are in the family will be called to account first and by different standards than the rest of the world. Because we are family. We have the spirit of Jesus in us. And that whole business of encouragement is so important. Because so often the way we behave discourages When you heard Mother Teresa, were you discouraged or encouraged? Encouraged to go for it, to pay the price. Because associated with love, there is a price to pay. It's not just a nice feeling. It's a willingness to lay down your life and to love. Love as you've been loved. And then to encourage each other and to keep on keeping on. Do you know the USA is the only nation in the world, this will surprise you, that has cheerleaders. I mean, people whose job it is to stand on the sideline and be cheerleaders. Did you know that? We don't have cheerleaders in England. We have crowds that learn how to sing together and cheer and scream and shout and or boo. And the same with the rest of Europe, especially when it's soccer, which is like the world sport. But to have cheerleaders whose job it is to get you going. When I first came to the USA, they recruited me to be a soccer coach for one season to a college team down on Lookout Mountain, Tennessee, Covenant College. That's where I courted Kathy, but that's another whole story. My main job was not courting, but coaching. Although I was coaching Kathy a little too. Perfectly, yes. Perfect coach. Thank you, Pastor Barry. And uh, we had a month together on a soccer, as a soccer camp to get those guys playing soccer. And I told them that they were going to become a well-oiled European soccer machine. Well, that was a joke, really. It was, there wasn't a chance of that. But they gave it their best shot. But what stunned me and actually distracted me was on the opening game, I'm standing there with all my boys behind me in uniform ready to get going. And just down the line, about by the end of this platform here, were a group of half-naked girls dancing and jigging and talking and shouting and clapping and carrying on. 
It, I can't tell you what a distraction it was. Even if I had Kathy on campus, it was a distraction. They were cheerleaders. I actually said to the guys with me, you may be astounded, I said, what are they doing? <laughs> they said, there are cheerleaders. Can you imagine what it would be like if the pastor to step out on Sunday morning And we are cheering him on? I don't think you'd get the half-naked dancing girls, but if he got the idea that from the pulpit they're saying, bring it on. Yes. So many pastors I know have other recluses from trench warfare (laughs) because they've been so beaten up and shot at that they okay, they're, they're Sunday morning they're in the trench and they move along then they pop up say something and then duck down again and move along in the trench and do you know why because they've spent a lifetime being shot at so it's the way they've come to live what if they came out and you're going yay pastor yay pastor go 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 Bring us the word and let us know. Whatever, you know, wouldn't it be super? And the guy would say, Ooh, you know, you know, or the guy S, whoever you've got up there preaching, would lay it out there. That's how life should be for us coming together. That's why we should never forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Aren't you encouraged and cheered just even to turn up? Just to get here. And for some of you, it is a real battle. Some of you are making your way through whatever depression. Some of you bring a burden and you're, in, you're heart sick. Others of you are just plain lazy. But you made it. And you got here. And then you, suddenly we start singing. And then you hear those great words. God is good. All the time. You think, oh. And you get into it. Because encouragement we desperately need. Everything around us out there, from the internet to the newspapers to the television to the music to the commentary to the attitudes of people are all guaranteed to discourage and belittle. The world is out there to pick the mortar out of your wall and bring you down. So to be together, cheered on by one another, provocatively. Somebody got the spur in you. I got marks in me, I tell you. Spurred on, but to love and good works. The world is crying out for the hope that we have within us. Yes, it is. Let's pray together, shall we? Well, Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We are grateful for you. And even now as we part company, it is with a sense of sadness. God be with you till we meet again. Is often the song, Via Condia. God be with you till we meet again.
But give us the grace, Lord, to be praying for one another, cheering each other on, stimulating each other to love and kindness, to good works, to be there for each other. For the one lonely, wounded, broken-hearted person who's crying out to you right now, come to her or to him. Embrace them. And may we find a way to embrace and love them too. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.